Hello, everyone. I am Steph Bodrini, and this podcast is for everyone who wants to learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you my journey and in getting into real estate while being mentored by someone who has been doing retail real estate investing for over 20 years. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you're here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we started an interview with James Shong, who is a broker focused on retail properties and national tenants. And we asked him where he thinks retail is going, tips for pricing a retail space for lease, whether you should give more TI, tenant improvement, or charge less for rent, as well as what should a real estate investor look for when buying a retail property. We also covered things that you need to know to make sure you cover during the due diligence process when purchasing a retail property. In this episode, we'll continue our conversation with James and cover what makes a national tenant want to lease a specific space, what are some typical lease negotiation points for a national tenant, what are some deal breakers for national tenants, and what happens when a tenant goes dark. Here we go. Now I would like to shift focus to the other part of your job, which is looking for space to lease for your national tenants. What makes a national tenant want to lease a specific space? That's a great question. So we're, we've been tasked over the years with many national tenants doing rollouts. And again, from 1,000 feet to 100,000 feet. And every tenant has, has a different purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, each tenant also has a different requirement for the optimal environment for which they can thrive. And we are often involved um, out of the gates in developing a strategy uh, for them in our market. So there could be an example where we work with tenants who only want to have end caps in grocery and shopping centers. That's all they'll look at. And they mm-hmm. only want to look at Safeway or Whole Foods anchored centers or, um, or you know, like caliber tenants. Uh, we could be working with, uh, you know, a hundred thousand foot box tenant who needs a certain amount of land and they, they need certain access to uh, major freeways. They can't be, they need the demos to be uh, above a certain threshold within a, you know, one, three, five mile radius ring area. Uh, we can, we work with food tenants who only want to be in downtown street front environments where they're part of a community and it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of footfall and they ultimately just, they, do, they don't want to be in a shopping center environment. So mm-hmm. it just depends so much on the tenant, but as we unwind their process and help them position them in the market, you know, the analytics we provide are from psychographics to demographics to data on, on, on their competitors and sales volumes. And so there's a lot of information that goes into the analysis of an opportunity and really when we can, you know, while one person's success or failure won't necessarily dictate the success or failure of the the tenant at hand, it at least gives a certain starting point, at least of who has done what in in a particular market. 
And so, uh, but there's uh, the appetite for growth is so unique to the tenant that at hand that it's, uh, it just depends. Some people are positioning for public events. Some tenants are repositioning a market. Some people are closing stores and only in one of combined units. So each, each requirement is, is truly unique, which mm-hmm. makes our job unique. As every requirement that we have is another adventure. But it's been fun to align to a lot of household names that we see and being able to walk in the stores and shop them or eat at them. And, you know, after knowing, you know, the process that we just uh, completed that maybe take from, you know, one year to 10 years. I mean, we, the deal cycles for us can be anywhere from a few months to a few years. And it's fascinating when you, you can see your body of work in the form of actual, you know, storefronts, each, each store or restaurant is, is truly a, a living organism uh, because it obviously provides jobs. It's feeding people. It's, you know, people are buying clothes. It's just, it's just really fun in that sense, and which is, which is really what attracted me to retail to begin with. I bet. I know that there are several lease negotiation points that could be negotiated. It can be 50, 100 different points, but what are some typical negotiation points for national tenant? Oh gosh, there are, uh, you know the the letters of intents, which are are meant to be non-binding, mm-hmm. um, are becoming uh, longer in the tooth every day as these tenants are trying to incorporate more in the front end process rather than putting them back into the legal process where the leases are negotiated. But I mean, it's really from uh, obviously rent term has become a big one. That's a big wrestling match um, as landlords often don't want to give control and term to tenants where tenants want to be able to control property as long as humanly possible. Um, there's a permit contingency language. So, you know, tenants are afraid if they can't get their permit, they don't want to pay dead rent. Landlords don't want to have open-ended rent commencement dates either. So there's that. A big one is assignment and subletting. What happens in the event that the tenant wants to close or or wants to sublease and who gets what rights. Uh, obviously, tenant improvement allowance, um, signage is always a big one, uh, exclusive parking, uh, no build areas. Uh, it's obviously the negotiation of, you know, of the triple net. So, um, you know, triple net leases um, are, are most often the case in, in a retail setting and where tenants are paying their pro rata share of taxes, maintenance and insurance. Uh, but but that can be stripped down and negotiated as well uh, because there's a lot baked into those three items that could be hidden. Um, and so the more sophisticated tenants know how to unwind that a little bit. Um, but there's there's unfortunately a limitless number of items that can be negotiated in, in a letter of intent. So for the most part, that would ultimately frame the transaction. And then again, once you get those terms agreed to, then typically it goes to the attorneys and they they negotiate the the rest of the legal items. Okay. And let's say, uh, for example, I own a retail property and we are in the process of negotiating a lease with a national tenant. Do they typically negotiate with a handful of properties, a couple of properties? And I understand that it may not be the case all the time, but what would be the percentage of national tenants that are negotiating with uh, multiple owners? They won't necessarily negotiate multiple leases with the intent of only opening one. But when we do a rollout, we're going to have multiple transactions uh, being simultaneously negotiated for sure. Uh, and that would be for that one location? No, 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 okay. no. So to, no, we, they will not 
They won't. For example, like if there's two, let's say there's two centers next door to each other, they only have, an, they only have the intention of doing one, they won't be negotiating on both. Okay. So once you once you get to a lease document and you've you've shaken hands on a deal and it goes to goes to legal that that then you you are more often than not mutually exclusive at that point for that particular deal. And what about the LOI? Every tenant has their own strategy on that. So okay. that's that, that depends on the tenant on how they how they want to blanket the market. But it's more often than not, you know, people want to know that if you are negotiating, you are negotiating exclusively and if you're not just disclose it okay right so as long as there's a disclosure and that's just more about fair play sure uh, and 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 you want to make sure too you know this business is is long and the people in the business all know each other you, mm -hmm. you want to make sure you always maintain that that standard of integrity and and really in honesty so that people know they can take you seriously. And then once we're past the LOI, are they going to end up trying to renegotiate the price when the lawyers get involved? Typically, no. So um, the price will, no, I'm saying no, that it will not get retraded. And not to say that okay. it hasn't been sure. in the past, but but yes, I mean, for the most part, it is, it is, uh, it is assumed that the business items have been agreed upon and And then at that point, you're negotiating really just the legal language. Great. What are some deal breakers for national tenants that we as investors should be aware of? You know, it just depends on how bad they want your site. Because, <laughs> um, you know, for a lot of landlords, for example, termination clauses were deal breakers. Mm -hmm. So that means like early kickout uh, language, things like that. But ultimately everything's negotiable and that's, sure. and that's just the truth. So the deal breaker is just going to be really dictated by the opportunity and the, and the players at the table. But uh, unfortunately there's no, there's no standard there. Okay. Can you help our listeners understand what happens when a tenant goes dark? Let me intervene here for a second and explain what does it mean when a tenant goes dark in case you don't know for the most part it means that they have gone out of business or temporarily closed the store for any reason such as a remodel or fire etc so if you have a big box tenant like tj maxx for example go dark there are consequences to your center because that store is going to be closed It does not look good for the center. It's very bad for your other tenants because there will be less foot traffic. So typically you want to negotiate that if they go dark, they have to pay around one and a half times their current rent until the end of the lease. It has to hurt their pocket so that they don't close the store and you have a big empty space there for the next five to 10 years. And of course, you should still be able to find another tenant during their go dark period. So when a tenant goes dark, it's interesting because typically there will also be language uh, pre-negotiated about go dark language. Uh, because a lot of times a landlord will want the right to recapture the space because a lot of times a black hole in the middle of a shopping center, you know, the ramifications of that are far beyond just the closure of this tenant. And so it depends on how it's negotiated, but typically 
they'll be given a certain time frame to be able to go dark. And usually it's in for the purposes of a remodel. But if they do go dark more than X days, a lot of times the landlord will have that right to recapture the premises. But obviously they need to continue to pay rent on the space. But at the end of the day, they cannot necessarily just go dark indefinitely. Now, in the case of, you know, call it 2009, when there were all the store closures and bankruptcies, that was an interesting time because this language was very, was challenged. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but, you know, most of these national tenants that even if they did close the store, though, they would still be paying rent on it. Sure. Can you tell us a deal that you lost that still hurts you today? <laughs> and what did you learn from it? Unfortunately, as, as anybody in this business can tell you, uh, those deals happen far more often than you'd like them to. Sure. And tra- transactions, uh, while not being specific, you know, a lot of times you will get to the finish line, uh, meaning at least execution, and there can be a change in leadership on either side. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's the tenant or the landlord, there could be a change of heart. Uh, there could be a shift in the economy. There could be, there's so many influencers in a transaction that are far completely out of your control that oftentimes that will ultimately kill a deal. And it's, it's, um, it happens a lot. It happens. And again, the reasons can range from some of the expected influencers are, you know, completely unexpected. And there's been so many curveballs over the years of even, you know, working on smaller deals, whether it's divorces or just weird, random, unpredictable events. It's just, there's, there's too many, too many examples of all of that. And that's the funny part of our real estate is that it's, uh, it's never done until it's, it's done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even when it's done, sometimes it's not because, you know, oftentimes, you know, we're navigating the waters of various jurisdictions where, you know, conditioning use permits are required and, And which is why a lot of those that permit contingency language is in place. And it's a, uh, so we're, we're constantly, you know, really until the lights are on and it's never done. Yes. I've been in tech sales in Silicon Valley for a few years and <laughs> timing is always, we are, we're always trying to close as soon as possible because uh, just like you said, you just never know what happens, who leaves, who comes in and It's interesting to see that, that that's everywhere. Is there anything else that you think our listeners should know, be aware of, any important tip uh, that you think should be shared with them? You know, in summary, you know, the retail community and market is, is again, there's no, there's no doubt it's changing and evolving. But again, we're all um, optimistic and excited about where it's going And the goal is to be efficient and the goal is to be uh, continuing to uh, be the best version of ourselves. And, and when I say ourselves, I mean as an industry and both on the tenant and landlord side. So I think, um, you know, just beware of what you read in the papers. Uh, beware of what you hear in the news, because uh, a lot of times uh, the, the media latches on to to certain headlines mm-hmm. and, and, and they run with it when in fact it might not always uh, necessarily reflect the truth. And we're, you know, we're, we continue to be incredibly busy as a group, as a retail team. And the requirements uh, that are crossing our desk every day uh, are continuing to be new and exciting and different. And, and there's always someone to be doing a better version of some, what somebody else was doing yesterday. It's fun to watch that process. 
we're excited to be at the forefront of that. And we are nothing but optimistic about, about the future. I, I agree with you. It'll always be, if, if anything, it, it will be repurposed into something else. So, <laughs> Absolutely. How can our listeners get in touch with you, James? Well, my, uh, I work in the San Jose office at Santana Row for Cushman and Wakefield, and you're always welcome to reach out. My contact information is readily available on the website and happy to, to answer any questions anyone may, may have. And I will also put your contact info uh, on this podcast. So just click info and you'll see James's information and you can feel free to reach out to him. James, thank you so much. This has been such a wealth of information. <laughs> I really, really appreciate your time. Absolutely. My, my pleasure. If you are finding this useful and you're learning things, please write us a review. It's not that difficult. I promise it'll take you a lot less time than it takes me to create these podcasts. <laughs> so I'm going to walk you through it. On the iPhone, go to your podcast app, click at the bottom on listen now, look for our podcast, the commercial real estate investing one, click on the purple title and scroll down a little bit under ratings and reviews. Right below one of the reviews you will see in purple again, write a review and that's it. Just tell them briefly what you're learning from this podcast. It would be super helpful to us. I really appreciate it. And I will see you next time.